out. Good morning, Holy Cross. Greetings from Christ Presbyterian Church, Christ Central Presbyterian in Charlottesville. Thank you, sir. You will be forgiven for not remembering that it's been 15 years since I've been here. The last time uh, Andrew Gilmartin was going through his cancer treatments and Rick needed somebody to help cover pulpit and he was gracious enough to ask me to come and help with that. I am super grateful for Rick. I was mad at him that my first Presbytery meeting was his last one here. And I was like, hi, bye, jerk, you're leaving me. <laughs> I'm thankful to get to know Brian Webster. Oh my gosh, that's a good dude. I'm thankful that you have him. Thankful for his humility, thankful for his love of Jesus. I'm just grateful for your church having him. I'm only gonna praise you for just another minute or two, uh, but Sitting in your church and listening to your kids chirp during worship is glorious, is it not? It, it sounds like the people of God. It's great. And then half your church leaves to go to children's church. Uh, and sign me up for some weeping elders. No joke. Sign me up for some ruling elders who love the body well enough to thank the Lord for what's going on in the lives of the congregants so much that his heart overflows and he starts to cry. Give us some praying shepherds, O oh Lord. And wow, I'm happy for you guys. Enough of that. Um, let me put the passage of scripture in front of you. And I would invite you to listen super carefully to the reading of God's word because this is gonna be the very best part of the sermon right here. In your bulletin, you're gonna see two verses highlighted, very familiar verses, verses 44 and 45. Those are gonna be the focus of our sermon, but for context's sake, I thought we would back up a little bit and listen to God's word. I'd invite you to stand and receive the word of God for the people of God given to you because he loves you. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seed is the children of the kingdom, the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, the reapers are angels, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field 
which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. Approximately, how many sermons have you heard on the parable of the treasure buried in a field or the pearl of great price? Uh, 150, 150 million, I don't know. I've heard them a bunch. I feel guilty often at the end of those sermons. Can we just talk plainly for a second? I start to feel nervous when I hear the text read because I keep hearing that the kingdom of God is like treasure and that a man sells all that he has and goes to get, I'm like, "Ah." okay, I mean, what do you want me to sell, God? What do I need to get rid of, God? I, I want to value your kingdom. I want to be willing to sell all my stuff, but if it comes down to brass tacks, I don't know if I love you that much. I'm just talking about me. I may be not talking about you at all. I just feel guilty and accused sometimes. I don't think we have to walk away from this passage with guilt. I agree with that interpretation and the ways that I have heard it preached But I think the context would suggest to us this morning that that appropriate interpretation gets things out of order. It's true, it's legitimate. God does want us to value his kingdom more than anything else. But I think that comes second. And that if we get things in the right order, it will help. I wanna show you the context and see if this makes sense to you. Verse 36 When Jesus starts talking, what's he doing? Uh, Went into a house, talking to his disciples. His disciples say, explain to us the parable you just gave. If you have a red letter Bible, for the next big chunk of red letters where Jesus is talking, what is he doing? He's answering the question. 
the disciples get confused about what they're hearing in a parable where uh, there's the kingdom of heaven where a man goes out and sows good seed and an enemy comes along in the middle of the night and sneakily sows some bad seed and all of a sudden there's good crops and weeds growing up together. And his disciples come to him and they say, uh, what's that? What are, you, what are you talking about? And for the next 12 verses or so, Jesus answers their question. Let me explain it to you. So I'm suggesting that all of this fits together, including the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field and the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Those help answer the disciples' question about what's up with the first parable. So let's look briefly at the way he explains in verse 36, 7, 8, and following. He's talking about a man who sows good seed. Who's the man? I know you're Presbyterians, but you could answer this question. Jesus, God, yeah, Jesus, God, he's the one sowing the seed. And verse 38 What's the field? It's the world. I appreciate the boldness in the back. There's one more question coming, and you guys can nail this. I know. Uh, Verse 38, and what's the seed that's planted, buried in the field? What is it? Verse 38, I love the answer. It is the gospel. That's how Jesus talks about it in so many other parables. The good seed is the children of the world, of the kingdom. The man who does the planting is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the children of the kingdom. What's buried in a field? What's planted? The children of the kingdom. Who's the one that plants them there? The son of man. Okay, you're still having a hard time, disciples, understanding what I'm talking about in this parable. I'm just talking about the kingdom of heaven and what it's like. It's like someone plants the children of the kingdom in the world and I'm going to get something good out of it because I don't want the weeds to be pulled up with the wheat because the wheat is so precious. Let's not get, okay, uh, this isn't making sense. Let me give you another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure that's hidden in a field where a man found and covered it up and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Oh, okay, let let me give you another parable. One more, okay. Again... The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You hearing this? In these parables that you know all so well, who is Jesus saying the man is and the merchant is? Himself. And what's the field? 
or the marketplace that he's looking in, the world, and what's the treasure? Us. Doesn't that get a little nervous to say, wait, we're the treasure? I thought we were supposed to be treasuring the kingdom. Yeah, yeah, okay, yes, calm down. Yes, we are. We're going to get there. That just comes second. First, we need to talk about the kingdom treasure itself. And let's not get confused on what the kingdom treasure is. In Jesus' parable, it's us. How's that sitting with you right now? Uh, sounds good. I'm a little bit nervous, though. I've never really heard this before. Okay, let's back up. Let me show you from the Bible. The Bible supports this reading. How often, including in our Old Testament reading, does God describe Israel as his special chosen people, the ones whom he treasures and chooses. Here again, the words that we read this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and 8. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. Does that sound at all like the parable? This is not a fluke. This verse is in Exodus as well. In Exodus chapter 19, this theme is in the book of Psalms where God calls the people of Israel his chosen and precious people. It goes through the entire Old Testament such that the closing words of the Old Testament... The book of Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. It only has four chapters. In chapter three, the next to last chapter in the whole Old Testament, you've got this verse, if I can find it. Hold, I'm gonna get there. Chapter three, verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts in the day when I make up my treasured possession. This goes through the whole Old Testament. This is a prevalent theme that God will get treasure for himself out of the world. Okay, still not convinced? I love it. You wanna be the Bereans this morning who wanna test everything with scripture, I approve. Does this not square with the gospel message? Uh, What does the gospel have to say? Is it that we went in search of the kingdom and that we rightly recognized its value and we came to our senses and we decided to love the Lord and we treasured him? Is that the gospel? No. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not that we love, not that we seek, not that we rightly treasure, but that God loves and seeks and gets his treasure by paying for it with everything he has, which is the Son of God. God made flesh. 
God who did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and became one of us. At enormous cost, God buys and gets his treasure. Can you hear the gospel in this? It's crazy when we think about the gospel. I know you know this, but it is a backward, backward valuing, isn't it? If we were to interpret the parable first as if to say, yeah, the kingdom of God is amazing. Sell everything you've got to get something more valuable. I mean, that that makes sense to us. If you found out that Blackbeard the pirate's treasure was hidden under the defunct for 25 years mobile gas station, you might sell your house and your cars and cash in your 401k in order to get Blackbeard the pirate's treasure because you know that you're going to have millions and millions. That makes sense. But the gospel says that God goes and pays everything, pays the worthy to get unworthy people. He spends what is glorious to make what has been ruined his treasure. He takes the sinless one and pays everything for sinful people. This is a, to our minds, backward valuing. And this messes with my brain, quite frankly. Actually, Joe Magri at Christ Central in Charlottesville just last week said something I found enormously helpful. So I'll give you Joe Magri and credit to him. When we see reversals in scripture, God taking the high places and bringing them low, God taking the proud, making them low, God taking the lowly and raising them up, God taking the unworthy and treating them as worthy, God taking the ruined and giving them his own glory, sharing inheritance with us, we make sense out of it by recognizing that it is a holy God who is reversing things according to the holy standards of his own righteousness. It doesn't make sense to us, but we get confused because our lenses are so off that we can barely recognize what righteousness and holiness should look like. So when God comes in and reverses things, he's saying that. That's what holiness and righteousness looks like. I do this. You don't do this. This is who I am. It's not who you are. This is what I'm doing, and I will make you like this, you who don't really value the kingdom all that much. Can you hear this message now? Here's Jesus describing what the kingdom is like. And he says to his disciples, kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man in his joy sells all that he has and buys that field as his own. What a word that is. Kingdom treasure comes first. 
our kingdom treasuring comes after that. If I and if you so often feel guilty for the ways that we don't really value the kingdom as much as it ought to be, do you think Jesus knows that when he's telling you that you are his treasure? That you're the one he delights in? If he's looking at you and trying to make the point, you're the one that I treasure. You're the one that I came to get. Do you think he is also crossing his arms and saying, now how come you don't value my gift that much? What's wrong with you? He gives us and names us his treasure and then says, you, you want to treasure my kingdom? Okay, good. Follow me. Yeah, maybe in some cases you might need to put aside some of the things that hold you back or capture your attention and your affection. That's right. That's a legitimate application. But what if this God who likes to speak in parables has a little bit more up his sleeve and a sweeter invitation even yet where he says, you want to value the kingdom? Oh, I got a parable for you. The kingdom treasured is like a people of God who sometimes don't value the kingdom like they ought to and don't understand who they are or what they have. So a man buys the treasure, invites them to participate, gives them new life, new hope, and all of a sudden the kingdom treasured is like a one-year-old puppy that gets set loose on an empty beach full of exuberance and it goes, what? And just runs around like crazy on the beach and delights itself in the beach. Maybe the kingdom treasured is like that. Or again, the kingdom treasured is like a man who was dying of pneumonia, his lungs filled with fluid so that he couldn't breathe and fell into a coma. And in his coma, he experienced miraculous healing that he didn't enact. And when that man woke up, he scraped off his cannula and went, and that man treasured the oxygen by breathing and breathing and breathing. Or again, the kingdom treasured is like Cinderella when she gets to be about 67 with gray hair and she's getting ready to go out to dinner leaning into the mirror, putting on her earrings, and chuckling because she's never really gotten over the sensation of somebody bringing her dinner, somebody serving her, somebody treasuring her. You want to know what the kingdom treasured looks like? 
The kingdom treasured is like a two-year-old who wakes up in the middle of the night with a thunderstorm, screaming in terror. And when mom comes in, that two-year-old clings to mom and will not let her go for anything. There's your kingdom treasured. Or if the people of God like their parables more out of the Bible itself, the kingdom treasured is like a tree planted by streams of water bearing fruit each season. Its leaves never wither and in all they do they prosper. What if treasuring the kingdom looked like being a tree planted and it will not leave the living waters? It couldn't possibly. How could it? It's been planted there by one stronger than the tree itself. And does a tree value the water all the time perfectly? Well, maybe, I guess. But maybe it needs some time to grow up too. Maybe that tree sometimes looks at itself and is like, I should be a bigger tree. I should be more than a sapling. I should be growing different fruit. I should be growing fruit faster. I don't know why my leaves fall off once a year. Maybe that tree just needs to grow in grace and stay by the living waters for 50 or 60 more years or two or 300 more years. Can you hear this? The kingdom treasured is us simply doing what Paul says in the book of Philippians, which we read this morning, where he says, I do not consider that I have attained it, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. My friends, would it be good news this morning if Jesus walked in here and said, I see you. I know this stuff that you keep confessing over and over again. You know what I want you to remember? I want you to remember that you're my treasure. I paid for you with everything I had no one can snatch you out of my hands. No one can take you from me. Stay. Be an exuberant puppy. Be a frightened two-year-old. Be a little old Cinderella. Be a pneumonia patient who's waking up. And you just need to breathe this morning. That would be valuing my kingdom. That would be you honoring me. Breathe deeply, friend. You are treasured and you are loved. Let me close prayer. Seems to us, Jesus, that sometimes the message of the gospel is stunning afresh. 
would you please, by your Holy Spirit, continue to stun us, to refresh us, to revive us, to give us the whole beach to run around on, to hear again the message that we are treasured ever before we are supposed to turn and treasure. And then make our hearts like yours because the Holy Spirit is implanted in us, because you will accomplish the work that you began in us. Make us into people who value and love and treasure because we have been loved first. And in so doing, in growing us into oak trees planted by living water, will you get much glory for yourself? And please don't get impatient with us. And please have mercy on us. Lord, we believe and help our unbelief. To you we give our prayers, our souls, and our lives. And we pray in your own name, Jesus. Amen.